mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world, then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing rags to riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires, many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guests, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. Got back on course here in the last couple months as I uh, uh, ended my run for governor with a loss. And uh, Chris got me back on the on the, uh, on the bike here. We're, we're rolling fast. But hey, we're, uh, we're excited today to have Scott Painter on. Scott's uh, an awesome entrepreneur. And uh, you know, I, Scott, uh, just so you know, my, my focus has always been you know, finding the best entrepreneurs I can find to interview, uh, to basically understand, you know, their secrets of success and, you know, what got them to, to where they are today and you know, understand their, their, uh, you know, toughest times, their best times and, and, uh, and their vision for the future. So that's kind of, you know, what, what we're all about. Um, I've got some of the best entrepreneurs I believe in the country's history that I've had so far. And, uh, but, but, but in the last, uh, after my run for governor, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, convinced that I want to focus on entrepreneurs, great entrepreneurs, but those that are also great patriots. Um, so when I've got somebody like you that served also, that's, uh, that's the best of the best. I get people that have served our, our great country, understand what, you know, the importance, how the importance of free enterprise and, you know, free markets and freedom matters. Um, and then you go on to create success in, in business. That's, that's the best. So Scott, I am. We are excited as heck to have you on today, and thank you for being here. Well, I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much. So, Scott, uh, yeah. So, again, you know, my my thing is, I uh, you know, I, I I love our country. I I have not been was not blessed to serve our country. Um, so, I was actually uh, I ran for governor in our state so that I could serve in another way. I lost in the primary, a six six race primary, um, and uh, it was a, it was a very uh, very fun experience. Actually, I learned a lot. And, uh, you know, and, and through that experience, I really realized who my friends were that cared about our country, our state and, and our community, and our country. And, and some of my friends are really, you know, great entrepreneurs also that, you know, really aren't engaged with, uh, you know, really with our country and, 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 and really willing to fight for, for the things that I believe in. So I'm focused on people like you more than anybody else in my, in my future, because I want to, uh, I want to make sure that uh, we, we tell the stories of people like you and, uh, and, and other people that are entrepreneurs that understand the, 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 the blessings they have people like you that, that go out and, and uh, fight for our country. So, so you're the ultimate type of person we like, you know, uh, we want, want to hear your story from, from a little from the start to start to where you are today and your vision going forward. So uh, sure. if, you, if you can kind of share with us, uh, you know, your start, where you, where you, where you grew up and uh, how you were raised. I, I know you're, you look like you worked at a young age, like I did and learn, learn work ethic and, and values of work ethic very young, which, which is really cool. Yeah. I, I grew up in uh, Northern California. I uh, was part of a very conservative family. Um, I had a dad who didn't believe in credit cards. 
Um, so we, we, you know, yeah, yeah, I had to, yeah, you had to make your money before you could spend your money. That was sort of how I was raised. And, uh, I, I went to a, uh, Jesuit high school in Sacramento, California. And then at 17 years old, I decided to join the army so I could get independent. Um, pretty much everything that I would say I needed to, you know, develop as a habit to be successful. I learned in the army, um, so it was a really good wake up call for me and an opportunity to grow up real fast. Um, I joined the army enlisted and my entire strategy in joining the army was to be able to go to West Point. Um, I actually was at the University of San Diego. I was just about to go into my fall semester and I had a motorcycle and I was driving to the Mission Bay Aquatic Center to take a windsurfing lesson of all things. And my motorcycle broke down right in front of the army recruiting office. And this guy named Dwayne Stafford, a staff sergeant from Missouri, came out and he told me all about the military. And he showed me this book about West Point. And I thought, what, I, I came from a military family. My uncles were military and both my grandfathers were military. And so I grew up with a lot of respect. They were all Navy, though. And so they showed me this book about West Point. And I thought, well, gosh, if I if I was going to join the military, two things are true. One, I joined the Army. And two, I would only do it through by going to West Point. And so I said to this Army recruiter, as I'm about to become an enlisted soldier, how do I get into West Point? He says, well, we got to test you. We got to see how you do. But there is a very, very narrow window of opportunity to go to West Point by enlisting in the military first and then getting a military nomination. But it's wow. a very low probability. And I thought, so you're saying there's a chance. So that's exactly <laughs> what I did. Um, I joined the Army. I went through the tests, and I tested very well. I ultimately not only got a, a military nomination, I went to the United States Military Academy Preparatory School in Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, and I ultimately got a presidential nomination, one of five, and under George Bush, 41, um, and I ended up going to West Point. Um, upon arrival at West Point, I had already been in the military for about four years, so I had a couple rows of ribbons and an air assault and an airborne badge, and so I was pretty high speed when I showed up and about two or three years older than all of the other plebes that were coming right out of high school. I also happened to have a younger brother who's exactly that same age, so I had that mental advantage of just being a little bit older. And immediately upon arrival at West Point, I uh, went into uh, plebe summer and did very well with all of the common skills and all the things, having been in the military prior to getting there. The end of plebe summer, we held a, uh, a vote and uh, I ran for class president. I was elected class president. And so I was at West awesome. Point for two years and I was, uh, I was my class president for the class of 1993. That's awesome. You know, one of my biggest sort of moments at West Point was I got to uh, be the cadet that led the tour when Ronald Reagan came after he was president to get his Thayer Award. And getting to take Ronald Reagan through West Point, give him the whole tour, introduce him to the whole Corps of Cadets was probably one of my biggest highlight moments. That's awesome. That's so cool. And, uh, you know, what? Tell, tell us about that summer, what you call it, plebe summer. Well, I think one of the things that you learn um, as a plebe is that Part of the test is they give you too many things to do. And part of evaluating who can handle stress and who can get stuff done is they know that nobody can do all 10 things, for example. And the the A play is to do two things really well and discard eight. And so you get a lot of cadets who try to do all 10 things and they fail at all 10. You try to get, you know, there, there's some cadets that that end up doing one thing really well and fail at the rest. But it turns out that the real exercise is about knowing what matters and doing well enough at those things. And that, that tended to be a very good overlap with uh, sort of how I see the world. 
what are, what what are some of those things? So let's say let's uh, name some of those ten things that you're that you're you know pushed to do. Well, West Point's all about leadership. <clears throat> so one of one of the things that you really have to do is figure out how to motivate those around you to go and accomplish certain objectives, right? So <clears throat> one of the things that we were put into is a lot of uh, real wartime situations where you would actually have opposing forces. So you would have two units both going against each other, moving with what they call miles gear. So you've got uh, laser. Um, it's sort of like laser tag, but with real weapons. And <clears throat> one of the things that you really have to do is go out and operate under very little sleep. And by the time you get to day two or three of sleep deprivation, you're operating on about 10 or 15% of, you know, sort of mental capacity. And not everybody is operating at the same level. Again, I was a little bit older than most of the other cadets that were there. And so I became sort of a natural leader very quickly. But I loved war games and strategy and figuring out how to sort of get all of those kinds of advantages. I was always a really good orienteer. I understood how to read maps and how to get people from one place to another. Everybody at West Point is effectively a systems engineer. One of the big things you learn as a plebe at West Point is the difference between honor and regulations. <clears throat> and this is a really big thing because, you know, the whole theme at West Point is duty on our country, but the honor code is at the core of what cadets are taught. Integrity is by far the most important part of being a, a West Point cadet. And so <clears throat> you got a lot of these kids that are coming right out of high school and they really don't understand how integrity is going to ladder up into battlefield tactics and leadership. But <clears throat> one of the first things that you're taught is that there's a difference between truth and manners, right? So, uh, sure. and, you know, when, when you're at West Point, everybody's assigned a family to look after you on the weekends. So you go to that family and they sort of adopt you while you're a, a cadet. But if you were to go to that family and they serve you a meal and the meal is awful, you're perfectly okay telling them it was wonderful. <laughs> um, secondly, um, you know, when, when I was a uh, cadet candidate, that's an all-military unit. So you come into the cadet candidate position really as a, um, a PFC or a sergeant, and you're going through all of the training necessary to become a, a better cadet when you get there. So you have a bit of a leg up on the kids that are coming right out of high school. You're being trained not just on the test taking that is going to get you into West Point in terms of SAT, so math and English, but you're also doing all of the pre-training and all of the maneuvers and things that you have to learn from a military point of view so that by the time you get to West Point, You've got a lot of knowledge and you got a real leg up on everybody else who gets there. <clears throat> but when I was at the United States Military Academy Preparatory School, I was always one of those guys who was able to make a lot of stuff happen. And one of the things that we had was a break room where we had um, cable television. So I had been in the military for a while. You were not allowed to have TVs, radios, or anything in your barracks. And so what I had done is gone out and bought a television, put it up in my wall locker and turned into my bag. And then I went and I ran a splitter out of the break room so I could watch TV in my barracks, uh, barracks room. But in order to make the actual thing work, I had to have a cable box. So I set up an account and I was actually buying cable, but I did all the work and I set up everything, ran it outside under the eave and everything. And then when you finally get your nomination to West Point, only about 20% of the actual prep school goes. 
So that means that eight out of 10 cadet candidates do not get to go into West Point. So right. on the day that they announced that all of us were going and I got my nomination, there was a very jealous cadet candidate who felt that I maybe had taken his slot. So he reported me for having a television in my wall locker. Well, wow. <clears throat> I had to, as a cadet candidate, go through a mock honor trial and a mock disciplinary trial. And so the, the summer before I went to West Point, I was walking the area in Fort Monmouth as punishment for having done this. And I had violated a regulation. So as soon as we get up to West Point, honor training, which is a big core theme of the whole plebe summer, where they're trying to explain this difference between, you know, being courteous to your, you know, your, your uh, sort of sponsor family and yeah. a to total honesty that there is a gray area. Because that's a hard thing to be, you know, if you're going to be so binary about honesty, you got to make sure that people never, ever lie, right? And so yeah. in order to really give everybody an understanding of honor, they used my case from the prep school as an example. They said, okay, a, a heretofore unnamed cadet candidate did the following. Is it an honor violation or is it a regulations violation? as a way of understanding what is honor. So I became part of the curriculum during plebe summer and everybody was talking about the cable kid. And <laughs> ultimately, you know, the example was being used as an example because I went ahead and I paid for the cable from the cable company. I was not stealing cable. So it was not an honor, oh, violation, right. but it, it, it was a regulations violation and I had to be punished for that. Nobody knew who uh -huh. I was. So at the end of the summer, the way that the um, the voting for class president worked is there's 36 companies in the um, plebe regiment. So at the end of summer, 36, everybody, every company nominated one cadet from their, their company to go up and be part of the whole class committee nomination process. So 36 of us were brought up on stage. And if you think about cadets as a general cohort, these are people who did probably the best in their high school. They were valedictorian. They were captain of the football team. I mean, these are all just the, the cream of the crop in terms of high school students across the country. They've got to get a sure. nomination from a senator. They've got to get a presidential nomination. I mean, so there's a whole process, but you've got this incredible group of badasses, right? 36 of us go up on stage. I'm a little bit older, but the captain who was in charge of us from the regular army and stands up and says, okay, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and hold a vote for class committee. There's 36 of you. We're going to get this done in 36 minutes. Here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to go ahead and have each candidate speak for one minute. They're going to tell you who they are, why you should vote for them. And um, then, then we're going to go ahead and we're going to vote on who's going to be class president. We're going to get it all done in under 36 minutes. So very, very military, very professional. He puts his hand out and I grabbed the mic. So I'm number one. And I stood up and said, hi, my name's Scott Painter. You all know me as the cable kid. <laughs> so everybody instantly knew my case, my story. And I said, yeah, everybody else is going to get up here and tell you how accomplished they were in high school, how they led the football team, how they did this, how, how well they did and why you should nominate them for class president. And I'm just going to tell you, there's no differentiation between any of the other 35 people that are going to follow me. I was none of those things, but I've <laughs> always been able to pull stuff off. You guys all know what I did at, at the prep school with cable. So 
if you elect me class president, I'm going to go ahead and deliver the first ever unchaperoned field trip to New York City with all of us plebes without any chaperones. And I'm going to deliver a toga party for plebe parents. <laughs> I mean, nobody's ever been any of this. And I mean, rousing, rousing support. And everybody got up and did exactly what I said. I was valedictorian. I was class president. I was this. I was that in high school. Everybody yeah. was boring. And then when it came time to vote, I won by a landslide. And we did have yeah, a awesome. party and we did have a unchaperoned trip to New York City. Shit out, really? Yeah. <laughs> we first well, think of that. So that's so you knew already what what it, what differentiation means to success, right? I mean, differentiate yeah. yourself. People understand that you know what differentiates you, and they'll want to do business with you, right? And that was the case that they wanted you to be their guy, their pre, the president, because they want somebody different, not like everybody else, right? And uh, think of, I, I I've got I got to believe that that whole story, um, in you know from there on in business and in life came you know came through, right? And that was in the back of your mind and. And and you know differentiation probably has carried you through your through your whole career, right? Well, I remember right after I got off stage, we were out at Fort Buckner. This was all done in military gear. We were in the field, and I was up on a stage, and I got called back to garrison. I got to meet the superintendent right away, and he said, "What in the hell are you doing, promising things you cannot <laughs> deliver?" And I said, "Why? You mean to tell me that we're going to go ahead and be military officers? We're going to go to war? We were at the time we were in Desert Storm and then Desert Shield, so we were a military at war." I said, "You're going to go ahead and send all of us into real time battlefield situations. You can't trust us to go to New York unchaperoned. That makes no yeah. sense at all." And you have to do it because I said it was going to happen. And if now if you disallow us, then you're going to be the soup that didn't allow us to to be adults. Yeah. Right. So uh, it, it ended up, you know, I think becoming a very good lesson for life. As you say, Gary, you know, for me personally, um, I, I definitely understand contrast. I definitely understand differentiation. And I think that, you know, in business, if you're going to innovate, you don't just have to be better. You have to be radically better. Um, it's mm -hmm. not like you can come out with a product and say, it's going to save you 15%. It's, you know, it's going to have to totally change the way you do a thing. And so, you know, the company I'm building right now is all about just understanding that we're going to be driving electric cars. And it, I mean, it, it is an eventuality, but a lot of people are worried about the range anxiety, the battery, all these things. And so we, we, we are literally, you know, banking our entire future on the fact that people are fearful of these things and we solve big problems, but we're massively more affordable. So like, you know, versus renting a car from us, we're five times cheaper, not 15% cheaper. It's a, it's a big deal. So I, I think yeah, yeah. this has served me well, certainly throughout my entire life and my entire career. So radical differentiation. I like that. And I, you know, I, 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 I've been blessed that I figured that out early on and I've constantly differentiated myself from the industries that we serve too. And it's, it's been through in the last 20 years through, you know, great technology added to old school industries that we've created some really cool things in technology and a couple of technology businesses and then the old school businesses that we scale across the country. But again, when I, when I think about you, um, you know, you're in, you're in this high tech industry, man, you gotta, you gotta kick ass when it comes to, you know, differentiation. I like radical differentiation for you. You have to have, or you're not going to survive, dude. You got too many, you know, amazing minds and technology on your butt. And uh, so tell me, tell me, tell me about your business now. And then we'll, we'll go back to, you know, your, your first business, but let's, let's, while you're there, Let's talk about that business you're in right now. How do you, how you radically differentiate and what you're what you're looking for uh, looking to be in the in the next you know three to five years? Yeah. So um, maybe just sort of put it in context to my journey. 
you know, I've had 57 incorporations in 35 years. So um, I, I we're, say we're, bro- we're brothers. We're, we're brothers, man. I've got over 40 startups and, and over 50 LLCs. Right. But not all startups. Some of them are, are, just, are like uh, management companies within my companies, that kind of thing. But over 40 startups myself, too. So we're, we're, we're brothers when it comes to crazy, crazy well, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial minds. You know, I, I'm I'm about to see my folks for the holidays, and uh, my mom still introduces me as a used car salesman. Um, and <laughs> you know, I, I think that you always hear about you got to do what you love. Um, I do think that great entrepreneurs and great companies solve a particular problem, and just about every company I've ever built is focused on solving one simple problem. I believe that buying and owning a car should be easier using technology, and I understand how technology can unlock that experience. But for me, if I look back at my life, the cars that I've driven over the course of my life are a reflection of where I am at. My car has been my avatar. It's been my ticket to freedom. I remember when I turned 16, you know, my first car was a, a you know, a um, Fiat Spider 2000. I thought this was the coolest car. It was very, very, uh, you know, good looking car, but, you know, um, sort of a poor man's Ferrari, the fix it again, Tony. Um, but the Fiat just had really great lines. It looked beautiful. It was a convertible. Um, I rebuilt a, you know, a 66 Camaro with my dad, an SS. It was absolutely nice. So, you know, for me, cars were always sort of this ticket to freedom. I've got a 16-year-old son now. He's got a car from the business that I'm building now. Um, We don't sell cars. We give people access to a car. So it's sort of a modern form of ownership where customers get to subscribe. But tell my 16-year-old that's not his car. That is his car. It doesn't matter how you do it. Um, But, you know, it... You know, that 16-year-old today, putting him into soul-crushing debt to get access to a car doesn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense for me no. either. You know, my, my strategy in the early days was I went out, I picked that, that car out of a junkyard and I fixed it up and, you know, worked on it with my dad. And, and so I had a lot of pride around that car. But as soon as that car was, you know, I, I could get behind the wheel, I took the keys and I was gone, right? And um, that kind of freedom, I think, is at the core of our love affair with cars in this country. Um, yeah. Three out of four Americans still need a car to get to work. Um, ride sharing, for example, is going to totally transform how we all get around. I, I think, you know, ride sharing certainly makes, you know, driving drunk something that should go away forever. I mean, nobody should should have an excuse for getting behind the wheel of a car intoxicated. But I don't think ride share is a good solution for a mother that's got to drive two kids to school. And it's certainly not affordable in terms of cost per mile. So rideshare, although a very interesting development in the whole automotive century, doesn't really change anything. It, it actually increased demand for cars. Car sales were up as rideshare was rising. So I think, you know, how we buy, how we pay for, and how we relate to cars and all the natural adjacencies to ownership can be very, very simple by comparison to what it is today. I think we also, you know, all get a car when something good happens in our life. We graduate from school, we buy a new house, we get married, we have kids. I mean, all of these things are really positive milestones. And yet ask anybody, what are the big sort of high friction, high anxiety moments in modern life? And buying a car is right up there. Going to the car dealership, stuck in the back room, having to negotiate with somebody who does it for a living. There's a lot of disadvantages for car buyers. I'm a father of four kids and I've got two girls. You know, 75% of people say that um, 75% of women say that they don't want to go into a dealership without a man. That that I think is a horrible state of play for, for an industry. Yeah. 
So, you know, all these companies for me are about that same journey. And I would say that they all have the same mission. Um, where I'm at today with autonomy is just further down the road. The way that we make getting a car easy at autonomy is we don't sell you a car. And we also don't lend you money. So we're sidestepping the two big gnarly parts of car ownership, purchasing the car and financing that car, because 95% of people do not pay cash for their car. A car just simply costs too much money relative to the average consumer's net income. And so mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you know, auto finance is absolutely essential, but the average car loan in America is six years and 10% interest. Almost half wow. of what we pay for our cars is going to the money, not the car. Yep. And so you've got globally a $10 trillion ecosystem that finances cars. And so how you pay for that car is as important as- Wait, 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 wait. You said $10 trillion? $10 trillion. In, 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 in the finance, in the interest cost in cars. In terms of auto finance. So um, the way to think about it is we all spend about 12 to 13% of our gross income on mobility. So if you make $100,000 a year, you're spending between twelve dollars and $13,000 of that money every year on the car and all the stuff related to the car. Mobility, sure, sure. not just paying for the car, but also insurance, maintenance, repair, fuel, and, um, you know, title, tax, and registration. So, yep. the, you know, the overall cost of mobility is about half on the car and half on everything else. So, I mean, it's sort of a fun cocktail party game, but, you know, I can ask you, you know, how much you make and tell you probably what you're driving. Um, if you make $100,000 a year, you're probably driving a, a, you know, a car payment of about $600 a month. And depending on who you are, I can tell you, you know, I, I, we play this game around the brands and the different trim levels of car. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's really fascinating how cars have become a very, very essential part of modern life. If you live in Los Angeles, you are what you drive. You know, the, the, the Toyota Prius, you know, back in the 90s, it just went absolutely bananas here in, you know, Tinseltown, where everybody wanted to sort of wear their heart on their sleeve and show that they were eco-friendly, even yeah. though the early Toyota Prius, you know, net-net wasn't the eco-friendly way to get behind the wheel of a car, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I think that, um, you know, up in San Francisco, for example, when we, we run programs like Autonomy, what we're building, um, the LA crowd is all about getting access to a Tesla Model 3 because it's a fun car to drive and it makes them feel good about who they are and they're doing something sustainable, but it's sort of the hip, new, cool car. In San Francisco, it's because it's early adopters and technology. They want to make sure that they're driving the most technologically advanced thing and that it, it works for them from a technology point of view. So different strokes for different folks, but um, I've spent my entire sort of life in that journey trying to make buying and owning a car easier, easier, joyful, fun, and affordable. Uh, what we're doing at Autonomy, though, does require that we buy the car. So um, there's a there's a really interesting side narrative here, which is I think we're nearing the end of automotive debt. This idea that we've got to go out and borrow a big pile of money to buy what is 99% of the time a depreciating asset is absolutely not a good financial trade. It's not what you want to tell your children to go out and do. I mean, my 20-year-old son who's driving an autonomy car, the idea that he would have to go out and borrow $50,000 at 13% interest, given how early he is in his art, yeah. is absolutely absurd. Detrimental, detrimental to their to their financial future. Now, what, now what about, uh, so what? tell us about autonomy, what you guys do then to make it yeah. better. Yeah, we are an only EV-focused subscription platform. And I'll explain what that means. First of all, 
um, we are only providing access to an electric car. And our belief is that we're all going to be driving electric. I think um, everybody knows that you know companies like Tesla, when Tesla vaulted to a trillion dollar market cap last year, it was in response to Hertz ordering 100,000 Teslas at one time. That, tri- that trillion dollar market cap is so enviable that every other car maker has now said, they're not just going to make a couple of electric cars. They said they're going all in on electric. So General Motors didn't say, you know what, we're going to make one or two cars. They're going to go ahead and make the electric Corvette, the Hummer electric, Cadillac Lyric, the Chevy Silverado, Equinox, Blazer. They're going all the way down to the Bolt. So they have cars ranging from mid-30s all the way up to the mid-hundred thousands. And so the the sort of electrification of automotive is heavily underway. You've got a lot of big tailwinds too. You've got states like California, which tend to be a um, a benchmark state where about a dozen other states almost follow everything that California does from a regulatory or legislative point of view when it comes to automotive and air quality. But California has tried to pass legislation that says 100% of cars sold in California by 2035 must be zero emission vehicles, electric electric cars. That is such a radical change to the status quo. You're basically saying an industry that makes today 1% of its cars as electric cars can't sell into California, the biggest car market in the world. Um, There are also milestones for how fast we have to pick that up. Today in California, we're ahead of that glide path. 18, 18% of all new cars sold in California this last year have been electric. That is five. How's that compared? How's it? How's it compared to the rest of the country? What's the percentage in, in the rest of the country? Is it five percent, two percent? Well, let me just walk you through all the numbers. You've got about three hundred million non-electric cars on American roads. You have a total of one point seven million electric cars. So we're less than, well, less oh, than one wow. percent of the total number of cars. That's including California, are electric on American roads today. We yes. as a um, we as a just a, over a, just over half just over half a percent is all it is right now. Half of one percent. That's right. Half of one percent. Right. And right now we're starting to see outside of California some very interesting signal from key demographics around cities. So Miami, Austin, Texas, Seattle, Washington, those three cities alone are nearing 10 percent of car sales being registered as electric vehicles. For us, we operate on a state-by-state basis because all sales and laws that govern the sale, financing, and insurance of cars tend to run state-by-state. So if you unlock a city in a particular state, you might as well open up the whole state. So for us, we just expanded literally in the last month to Florida, Texas, Arizona, and Washington. We had been operating this year only in California, but now we're in five states. We'll be in 32 states before the end of 2023. So for us, it's just you know, opening up those key cities, but there isn't anywhere tell, tell else. Us, I'm sorry. So tell, tell us, tell us exactly what you do, Scott. I mean, is, is it for, for the dealer networks? Or tell me, tell me what you do and how you do it and why, why it's best. Yeah, we, we provide consumers with access to an electric vehicle entirely on your phone. You simply go to the website, find out which pricing plan is good for you, which vehicle you want. Today, we offer mostly Teslas, the Tesla Model 3 and the Model Y, but in Q1, we'll be offering VinFast, Polestar, and Mercedes. We'll be expanding to about 17 other brands over the next 12 to 18 months. So you'll have a lot of selection. Once you select the car that's right for you, you're given a deep link to install the app. This is a location-based service in the same way that you cannot call an Uber from your laptop. 
you have to have your cell phone connected to our app to be able to get the advantage of a vehicle subscription. Once you get to the app, it asks you for two things. You've got to have a valid driver's license and a credit card. That's it. We're not lending you money and we're not selling you a car. This is a car that you are effectively renting or leasing from us. So we own it. You do not. We handle title, registration, maintenance, repair. All of that comes with your monthly payment. Once you take delivery of the car, <coughs> if the car needs tires, brakes, windshield wipers, you simply notify us in the app. We connect you with our partner, AutoNation. You go to the AutoNation store. You do not have to come out of pocket for any of those costs. Everything is covered with your monthly subscription. And then if you want to get insurance, you can either get our insurance or you can put your own insurance on the car, similar to how a lessee does it with a current lease. But we sell month-to-month -month auto insurance that's provided by Liberty Mutual. And we are acting as an MGA, which means that we just simply administrate it all in the apps. So if our customers get a ticket or a toll or a citation, all of that flows through the app as well. That's wild. Okay, so is there anybody out there doing it? I mean, there's leasing companies, of course, that lease cars, right? I mean, not, nothing, nothing like this anywhere that I've ever heard of. I mean, is there any? Is there anybody competing with you? Who's your, who's who's somebody that that you look upon as? Hey, there, you know, as a, that's a competitor we want to, you know, we need to surpass. Or are you guys, are you guys the the best best in the market right now? And are other people trying to catch you? We're the only company that's focused <clears throat> exclusively on electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. The use case for flexible access to a car is pretty strong. Whether you're in the military, in college, working in another city on a job for a short period of time, or you just need a car for a short window of time without wanting to commit to a three-year lease or a six-year loan. So flexible access to a car is becoming more and more a part of modern life. But right now, the only solution is really a rental car. Rental cars, right. and specifically take the, the Tesla Model 3, for example. If you wanted to rent a Tesla Model 3 from Hertz today, it's between $103 and $110 a day. If you wanted to go to Turo, which is a little different than Hertz, but it's about $127 to $150 a day. So mm -hmm. if you needed a car for a month, from either one of those companies, you'd be spending between three and four thousand dollars for that car. Yeah, Our price, yeah. four fifty a month. So it's a much cheaper alternative. We give you month-to-month -month access to the car. Our average subscriber stays with us for between a year and two years, and you just got to give us two weeks' notice. You can return the car. You're not breaking a lease. It's not going to hurt you financially at all. Most importantly, because we're not lending you money, this is a lot easier. We just show you what the monthly payment is. We don't have to show you the sell selling price of the car, the interest rate, the money factor, the residual. There's no negotiation, no complication. You literally sign for the car with your phone. So once you've gone ahead and entered your credit card and your driver's license, we're doing a number of fraud checks on the back end. We're making sure you have a valid driver's license because the biggest thing for us is we don't want to give cars to people who are going to either use it for ride share, or if somebody's had a drive, you know, bad driving record or a DUI or a felony arrest, all of those are knockouts for getting a car from us because you're going to get our car. We want to yep. make sure the car is going to be treated well. And then you drive the car, you get a thousand miles a month with the car. If you want to buy more miles, you can buy more miles, but you keep the car for as long as you want. Then when you're done with it, you just simply turn it back in. I think we're also, you know, finding just anecdotally, a lot of people are a little bit fearful about whether they're going to stay employed. 
Um, they're, they're worried they might lose their job or we might be going into a tough time. So entering into a long-term commitment on a car might be problematic for them. But because this doesn't show up on your credit report as debt, it doesn't take away any of your borrowing ability. It doesn't negatively affect sure. your credit rating in any way, shape, or form. So you can also pay for it on your credit card. So it just happens very quickly. You get issued a QR code. A reservation gets made for your local AutoNation store. You go down to the dealership. It's just a totally different path. Instead of going into the dealership and talking to a salesperson, you've got a reservation time. You walk in, show your QR code. They bring the car around. The most important thing is that the, the uh, representative shows you how to link your Bluetooth to the car. That's it. Then you're in subscription. You're wow. driving for it. It's like taking the car from a valet. You just verify there's no damage. You drive off. And then, again, when you need anything, if the car needs windshield wipers, brakes, uh, tires, you just notify us. All that's taken care of. If you need roadside assistance or you've had an accident, you notify us in the app. We connect you with a roadside assistance uh, program. A tow truck will come if you've had an accident. It also walks you through the accident claim process. So all of that happens wow. automatically. You don't have to figure anything out. <laughs> That's amazing. How do you guys, you guys, uh, your your average customer so far? I mean, would it, would it be a, a you know middle income person, or you have high end people as well? Yeah, you know what we we so we certainly see some high end customers. That there's no doubt, but this is primarily a near prime product. So we are seeing customers who have sort of a mid six hundred FICO, not perfect credit scores. It tends to be something where this is somebody who is on their way into a new job or into a new city. And so they're just sort of on their way into their credit journey. This might also be somebody who's starting a family. So they want to have the flexibility to go from one car to another. So the idea of getting into a Tesla Model 3 and then when the Cadillac Lyric comes out, maybe getting into that. Or if a Mercedes comes out, they can get into that. So one of the cool things about a subscription is you don't pay tax up front. You pay tax monthly when you use the thing. So instead of having to pay 9% upfront at the time of purchase or even financing that 9%, you just pay monthly. Yeah. And that way, if you want to have two or three cars in the course of a year, instead of paying tax on two or three cars, you can go ahead and just drive yeah. those cars and just pay tax on a usage basis. Uh, that's awesome. All right now, and, and then when you, when you look at, I know Mercedes, I was in a Mercedes dealer the other day. I bought a, I bought a car Mercedes recently. And, uh, couldn't believe all electric Mercedes they they got come, they're coming out with. I mean, there's a there's a whole lineup of Mercedes that are, that are going to be electric. Um, yeah, is, is there any, is there anybody fighting that? Anybody not going you know going with electric? You know, I I think from 2010 to 2020, if you would have just listened to the conventional wisdom, you would have thought that Tesla owners were going to just run out of juice and clog the on ramps and on ramps of every freeway, and it just didn't happen that way. These are smart cars. They know when they need to charge. They know where to go. There's two. There's three kinds of charging, level one, level two, and level three. 80% of EV users are driving their car less than 30 miles a day, and you can get 30 miles of charge in the evening on a level one charger. This is the converter cable that comes with a car. You can plug it into a 110 outlet. That also yep, isn't yep. taking much you know, load off of the overall grid as well. You know, I, I, I advise um, the governor's office here in California and – on the day that they announced that they were going to propose this legislation to force everybody to buy an electric car by 2035, they also said, if you could not plug in your EV right now because we're going to have a brownout due to the heat, right? So that, that's a bit of a contradictory message. Everybody get an electric yeah, car and then we're going to overload the system. And the reality is that most people are charging on a level one charger and you cannot overload the system if everybody's plugged into a 110 outlet. It's the same load that you would have with your, your hairdryer. So- yeah. 
but I, I've got a, uh, I've got, I've got, I've got a couple less classes, uh, just less or whatever, you know, the, a newer model and then a little bit older model. And, uh, I've got the, the, I don't know what, probably a level two or three cause it's on 220 and it, char- it charges my, my, I, I got, uh, 300 miles on my charge and it takes maybe five hours or something like that. Six hours to charge 300 on mine at my house and in my office here. So those, yeah, those would be level two or three. Yeah. yeah. You're, 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 you're talking about level two charging. That's an AC fast charge. It's going to go ahead and give you 75 miles over the course of, you know, the same evening that you would, but if, if, you know, if you charge it over the weekend, you get your whole 300 miles. Um, you know, I, I've had electric cars since they first came okay. out and I, I just use level one charging. It works perfectly fine for my, my use case. Um, the only people that really need to use level three charging, which is DC fast charging, where you can get a whole 300 miles in under one hour. That DC fast charging capability is really for somebody who's driving interstate and they're going from one place to another where they're going to be driving more than 200 miles. You're going to have to pull over, sure. charge up, and that is going to be a change in behavior because you're not going to be able to do that, you know, 10 minute gas stop. I've, I've done that. I've done that. I've, I've traveled across the country with my Tesla. So yeah, I know. I know it's, it's going to take you, you're going to have to, you know, manage another whatever, 30%, 20% more time to get there probably, right? Because you're going to, you're going to be, it's going to be an hour, 45 minutes to an hour each time you're going to charge compared to a 10 minute fill up or whatever. But anyway, you know, that's, that's something you choose to do, but that's not normal driving for most people, as you know. Yeah. You know, I, I think that um, the primary use case for an electric car is close to home, easy transportation. These are really easy cars to drive, as you know, with your your Tesla. You know, this is not a complex thing. Uh, when my 16-year-old was going to go through his driving lesson, you know, he got into a Tesla and he was just like, driving's pretty easy, Dad. <laughs> you know, yeah. versus I, I remember learning on a manual. And I've, you know, for me personally, um, not only do I have a Tesla, but I, I also have a bunch of old cars. I've got, you know, like a 66 Mustang and I've got a 71 Bronco Super Sport. And, you know, by comparison, these are really complex machines to operate. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I'm, I'm the same way. I got a couple older vehicles too. And yeah, it's a lot tougher to drive and no, no power steering on my 73 uh, GMC four by four. You know, it's, it's, it's just not the same. That air conditioning doesn't work so well either in that thing, but either way, yeah, the new cars are amazing, right? How they're so convenient, so easy to get in and, and understand. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you say about, it? I've got a, a, I've got a dizzy thing that happens for my Teslas. Okay. So I'm, I'm not hearing about this from my friends that have, but for some reason, I get I get my brain gets jarred a little. I'm stupid enough to to, to drive kind of fast, um, and I and I accelerate maybe too fast too often. But yeah. have you heard of any any of your friends that actually get a little dizziness from from uh, when they drive their Tesla a lot, well, or, or a so car I, like that I, that's that fast? I was one of the first customers who bought a Tesla Roadster when they first came out, and that thing oh, was yeah, really yeah, fast. sure, and it it was so fast that. The brakes couldn't even slow it down quick enough. I mean, you, the, the the car itself is just one of the the fastest ways to get from zero to sixty or zero to a hundred. The new Tesla yeah. Plaid S is so fast; it it doesn't just give you dizziness. It it actually makes your neck a little bit sore. Um, you before, <laughs> before you let the car go, you have to put your head back against the seat so you don't get any of that whiplash effect. And, and it took me a while to figure that. So my my new one is a 2020 uh, S, and it's uh, it's the it's the the big the big motors, zero to sixty in two point three seconds. Yeah. The new ones, I guess, are 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 less than two now, right? The new the plaids are like one point nine or something, right? But even you know two point three seconds is crazy fast. I've got friends of mine that have you know their their Lamborghinis and and 
uh, you know, McLarens, and they're not that fast, right? Not at all. And uh, so anyway, so, so you got you got to get used to that and be smart about it because, it, in my opinion, it can be it, it can be a, a little dangerous on the brain probably if you don't put your head back like you're saying and do all the right stuff. But well, um, it, it's amazing I mean, the technology. It, it, it's pretty remarkable that the car can be so practical, so modern, so safe, and perform so much better. I mean, it's just it's radical. Well, how about how about the fact again? I, I've got I've, I got a new Corvette as well, right? And they're 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 fun cars to drive, and they're it's a, it's the uh, it's I got everything on it, but it's not the Z06 yet. But it's a it's one that's I think two point seven zero sixty. Uh, but you got to be perfect to get there. You got to be you know traction's not perfect. It's got to be perfect to get two point seven. Not not in the not in the Tesla. And, and by the way, when you want to haul a bunch of stuff, more room inside that Tesla S class I've ever seen in a in a sedan anywhere, right? Uh, so, so the amount of room in that car is incredible. The safety of the car is incredible. The, the, the ease of driving it. I mean, there's, 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 it's a, it's an incredible car for sure. It's not a, not cheap, not a cheap car, but it yeah, gives you I so would, many things that you can't get otherwise. I was just going to say the, uh, the price to performance ratio of your Corvette can't be beat. No, that's true. There's nothing like that. I mean, I, I, and I, and the looks of it too, they're, they're a beautiful car. And then that's come, they're going to be doing electric coming up, right? And that, and the, and the Corvette, yeah. you know? Yeah, Corvette's going electric as well. You know, you think they'll both gas and electric, or they just do electric? You know, I think that General Motors' plan is to be fully electric by 2030. Um, I think that they will probably pick a couple of really signature cars like the Corvette to always do as a internal combustion engine option. Um, BMW has said they're also going to make all of their lineup available in both electric, hybrid, and gas. So. Um, you know, ultimately, I don't think that that's going to necessarily be a cost effective option. But right now, everybody who's invested in manufacturing an internal combustion engine has amortized that investment over 30 years. So it doesn't make any sense for them to throw it away. If you look at what Ford and General Motors yeah. and Volkswagen are doing, they're building additional facilities. They're not scrapping their old ones and retooling them. So I think you're going to see a bit of choice in the marketplace. It's going to be a pretty fun time to be a consumer. I mean, 38 different trims of electric car have been announced. For the next twelve to eighteen months. Wow! Now the, the, uh, the automotive industry is incredible. To be part of it, it's got to be a blast. Now, now you were you were involved in in uh, a little bit in Tesla initially as well. Is that right? I was. Um, so Elon walked up and bought my house uh, almost twenty years ago, and at the time he was building SpaceX. He had not yet made the initial investment into Tesla, and so. We ended up becoming friends just based on the fact he bought my house and um, we, we, you know, got to know each other through that experience. And then he actually asked me to come in and help him evaluate Tesla when Martin Eberhard, the original founder, was still running it. He wanted to really understand the distribution strategy. I had had a company um, called CarsDirect.com. And CarsDirect was about direct distribution. CarsDirect implies obviously not selling through a dealer, but um I was pretty well acclimated to that whole issue. And so he wanted to have my point of view about this. And I gave him the business plan that we had written about direct distribution. And today, Tesla it continues to be a direct-to-consumer retailer, one of the only. Um, mm -hmm. One of the benefits, obviously, of building cars to order is that you don't have to have an inefficient build-to-inventory system. One of the disadvantages is, obviously, when you have a factory – it only has an on and an off switch. You you don't you don't want to make fewer than the number of cars because you got to pay for labor and all the other fixed costs. Sure. And so 
Um, I think one of the things that's really remarkable to see is that Tesla today is operating at the scale they are. Um, you know, they produced 367,000 cars in the third quarter, electric cars. Wow, everybody else, car. every everybody else produced 30,000 combined. So wow. Tesla is by far the dominant electric car manufacturer. They will be for some time, but we're students of who's putting shovels in the dirt. Right now, you've got Ford and GM investing billions of dollars to catch up. It's going to take a minute, but the pleasant headache of filling demand is very different than wondering if you have a market. So right now, one of the cool things about the electric car business and being in this business is wait lists have emerged everywhere. And even though we're a new company, we've got thousands of customers deep waiting for cars. So I don't have to wonder whether or not if I buy more cars, those cars are going to get right out on the road. That is a tremendous sure. advantage as an early stage business. Okay, now think about thinking about the uh, Tesla's charging stations. I got some friends that are in, involved in installing those here in Illinois and across the country and stuff. And I'm I'm a paving guy, right? I pave parking lots. We we pave more parking lots maybe than almost anybody, maybe maybe anybody in the country. There might be one company that paves more parking lots than us. We do concrete and asphalt parking lots, and and we we claim to be the the most productive, highest quality company in our space. We use technology like nobody else to do what we do. We use we use 3D technology. We use our electronics are the best on our equipment. Um, we use artificial intelligence and drones to do assessment and engineering of our customers' uh, properties across the globe. And we have a lot of fun, right? But but I've got the next step right now is my team is really interested in, in uh, building uh, uh, parking lots, so solar canopies and parking lots. Solar canopies where you provide, you know, you provide shelter in, in lousy weather like we have in Illinois in the winter. You provide shade in hot, humid summer, summer days. And then you have, uh, you know, this this is a source of electric that you can you can create, right? Um, yeah. And uh, you know, we we can build parking lots that'll last longer than anybody else in the country. So I, I, we're confident we can build parking lots uh, that'll last a hundred years. Okay, so when you build a, a canopy over a pavement that has like zero maintenance, right? We're, we and there's not many companies that can that can claim this and do it. Um, we can own own we can basically own and. Uh, share the ownership of that parking lot, that, that pavement and the canopy with the customer and provide uh, amazing annuity in our opinions, right? Um, including including the, the charging stations that would be part of it, right? So we're, we're going back and forth on all this, trying to figure it all out, but it, it seems like a kind of a no-brainer to do it um, with, with, the, with the demand that we're going to see in the future of, of uh, electric, right? So many, um, you know, if, if we can do these, we, you know, we, we have access, we have, our customers are the biggest building owners in the world. The Walmarts, Home Depots, Prologis, uh, uh, Blackstone, right? Some of the biggest owners in the world of, of real estate and buildings are our best customers. So, so we have access to over 5 billion square feet of, of, of parking lots. And uh, with that, the ability to assess and figure out where the solar works, where it can work best. And so um, we can consult and, and help them and basically even install and, and, and pay for these, in my opinion, with the right with the right investment from probably some partners is Gary Rabine cash will run out pretty quick if if it's all my cash that 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 you know does this but it just seems like kind of a no brainer because we can we can build a pavement that'll last you know more than 40 years all right cuz that that maybe 30 40 years would be the life expectancy of a canopy um that we we'd, we'd have a heck of a product what what are your thoughts on that well, I'll tell you, if I was not doing electric vehicle subscriptions, I would definitely be in the charging infrastructure business. It is one of the biggest booms that we've seen in a long time. The electrification of automotive is going to be bigger than the introduction of the car in the first place. 
you've got a massive ecosystem that's going to have to think differently about how it does everything. And charging these vehicles is going to be key. One of the cool advantages, though, is you don't have to trench all the way back to the power plant. If you think about how inefficient delivering gasoline is to gas stations, it's happening on trucks, right? You've got to basically haul all of that fuel and at maximum weight to all of these stations on a daily basis. It is just an inherently very, very high friction, high physics-based activity, whereas electricity is already at the destination. You have to put in substations. Um, almost all of these level three charging facilities also are affiliated with a, a battery array. So the battery array becomes a storage facility as well. It can feed power back into the grid. And the cool thing about having a battery array attached to a charge point is that you can also take electricity, put it into cars during peak hours without yeah, yeah. the grid at all. These are great businesses. Um, and most importantly, if timing is anything in business, and I think it's everything, the number of dollars that are on the table, both at a federal, state, and city level for supporting infrastructure and this investment is enormous. Right now, there's, you know, there's a $5 billion federal incentive for building superchargers along interstate highways. That is being coupled with many, many billions of dollars at the state and city level. It, it is a tremendous opportunity. If, if done properly, entrepreneurs can build these facilities at no cost and create a long-term recurring revenue stream. We're all going to be driving an electric car. That's the prediction for sure. And um, it, it's not going to be that you know most of us will be, all of us will be driving an electric car. Our uh, internal combustion engine vehicles will become trophies and they'll become things that we cherish, but then they're not going away. So you don't have to dig up the gas stations and throw them away, but it's going to be a very different future. And um, I think charging infrastructure is such a clear, fast follow opportunity that right now it's booming. It's, it's bigger than almost any other part of the overall ecosystem. Yeah. And again, with our, with our, we have a bird's eye view on, on our customers' pavements and, and you know, you know, what, you know, what, what needs to be repaved. So any parking lots that you're going to re rebuild anyway, perfect opportunity to rebuild and, and put a, put a uh, canopy in because the cost then is, is very minimal. Um, I, I, you know, the difference in cost is minimal compared to, you know, redoing something that's in pretty good shape. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. So I'd, I'd love to talk to you more about that or yeah. what we're thinking there, but it could be a lot of fun. Um, so, so what are your thoughts then on uh, when, when you look at the the, the oil industry, right? They, they, and you know, and, and you think about think about the difference in in the environmental difference, right? Some people say that, you know, hey, you know, this this solar stuff, this 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 these electric cars are 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 fueled by coal, right? Because electric, you know, coal is still a big chunk of our of our electric. Solar is very little. Wind is very little. Um, where is that at now? Where do you think it's going? And, uh, and, and, do you, and do you feel there's a big difference environmentally currently? Um, because because my, my thoughts are not a big difference now, but could be in the, in the, in the long term if solar um, you know, really, really continues to, to gain ground. I, I think anybody who uses the, the argument that coal and, and oil is what powers the electrification argument is just trying to put downforce on the transformation. And they're probably an incumbent of some kind. Uh, the reality is that a smart grid, which is exactly what electric cars are, they are effectively making every time they charge up smart. They know where to go, what they need. They can also 
choose to charge up in the most efficient manner in terms of the cost of electricity and so forth. All of those things, I think, are transformative in terms of giving us the opportunity to actually go out and then look for more sustainable sources of power at scale. Um, so I think I think that you know power generation is obviously a hot topic. It's very political. Um, you know, personally, I think that if you're looking for sort of the max output to effort and cost ratio, nuclear is such a, a tremendous source of power. Obviously, it comes with, you know, a, a bunch of natural embedded fear, but sustainable power generation is becoming a very big and profitable business. And depending on where you are, if the wind blows or the sun is shining uh, or, you know, the water is flowing, all of, all of these things are, you know, going to become much more applicable over time. But it starts with where is it going? How is the energy being consumed? If all of our energy has to be consumed during certain peak times, then the power generation has to be able to flux up and down. And there's often sure. contradictions. So you do have to use coal and oil and things to power, you know, power generation during peak hours. So that's inherently inefficient. So having batteries at the other end, which allow us to load balance how and when the, the demand is, because power has always been historically about peak. You have to be able to generate enough to meet peak demand, and therefore it's inherently inefficient during non-peak times. That is sure. all changing. So I think that's going to open up all sorts of ways to unlock sustainable choices on mass scale power production. In, in your opinion, though, and you feel, do, you, do you feel like do you feel like solar though? It's gain, gaining. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I haven't tracked how much solar is gaining when it come, comes to um, you know generation. Is is it is it gaining you know five percent a year, fifty percent a year, or whatever of the market? I don't know. But yeah. is it is it twenty years off that it that it gets to thirty percent you know thirty percent you know capacity? You know, I, I don't think it needs to be twenty years off at all. You know, I live in California and we're subsidized to the point here where putting solar panels on your roof doesn't cost you any money, and you can be in a totally circular situation where you're powering the batteries at your home and charging your electric vehicle from the solar power that you generate in your own home. That is the whole sort of rubric around Tesla and Solar City and what they did there. Um, I, I, I do believe that at a mass scale, though, the argument that we are using in inherently inefficient coal-powered power plants to electrify our cars is a very short-sighted argument, and it's certainly just designed to put a little bit of fear into the equation. I think it's the same kind of fear between, you know, any kind of sustainable energy versus nuclear. I think there's just a lot of myth and a lot of just natural fear that's embedded in that. But, you know, you 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 you, you cannot uh, ignore the data that, you know, if, if you really want to, if you want to really be efficient, um, we should be using nuclear and I understand why people are fearful of that and, you know, some of the, you know, things that have happened over the course of the last 40, 50 years around the world with nuclear. Um, but I think um, right now solar is absolutely the best, best path forward and it looks like it's certainly gaining steam, but you could provide all of the power needs for the entire U.S. with about a quarter of the state of Utah. I mean, it, it, you you need a large solar farm, but it is not as though we're talking about you know something that is unattainable. I mean, so uh, and uh, when when you when we look at uh, you know the future of of like you know heavy duty equipment, trucks, and and and, uh, and we we run a lot of like you know pavers and rollers and dozers and all those things. Um, how long before that that it, it becomes efficient to power those? In your opinion, have you heard anything? 
on uh, in electric. I know there's trucks out there and all that, but almost almost all commercial uses for electric cars are benefited by lower torque or higher torque. Uh, so yeah, yeah, the, yeah. You know, the, the electric motor is 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 a pretty remarkable thing, and um, I I think that you're going to see more of that faster than you think. I've already visited a number of companies that are in a lot of these different applications where electrification is becoming the norm. Uh, it does take a bit of investment to switch over, but these vehicles are going to be more effective, more efficient, and cost less over time. So I expect it's going to hit everything. You know, those uh, those tractors that pull airplanes around at the airport, they, they've all gone electric in the last three years. Um, yeah, I've heard that. It's pretty amazing. That's amazing. It is awesome. Uh, Right, tell me, uh, in, uh, what do you what do you think of, off subject? What do you think of uh, Elon and uh, and Twitter? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I I think that um, he's a very high minded guy, and he's you know got the thick enough skin to jump into that kind of an environment. I mean, you know, sort of like getting into politics without even being a politician. Um, so th there's a bunch of things that I would not enjoy about what he's doing, but I understand his objective. He believes that free speech is absolutely essential to civilization. Um, he he wants to make that a place where people can be free to speak. And um, I, I think that that's noble. He's willing to put his money where his mouth is. I think just purely it's undeniable the effect it's having on Tesla it's undeniable the effect it's having on his halo as a brand. Um, those are hard things to watch, but I admire him for what he's doing. I agree with many of the things. I think that um, anytime you're going to mix it up with, you know, Kanye West and the Kardashians, it's going to be a little bit messy. And so I, I don't envy <laughs> what he's doing at all. Um, but I, I worry, um, you know, he's, he's running three really big, really important companies and, there isn't physically mm -hmm. enough time in a day to do the things he's doing. So he either is going to do some of them poorly. And this goes all the way back to my West Point story. You know, yeah, yeah. if you're going to succeed at plebe, plebe summer, you got to do two things. You got to do, you got to pick which two to do right. So that's part of the exercise. You know, did you choose the two to do right? And did you ignore the other eight? And did you excel at those two things? That's sort of the test in front of him right now. And he is, to some degree, doing too many things, and he's going to do them more poorly if he keeps spreading himself thin. Yeah, no, I, and I and I admire admire 100 what he's doing at Twitter. I mean, I, I think we need that. We need it in our country. Um, he's got the wherewithal financially, hopefully, to stomach some of the hits he's going to take, and maybe you know, hopefully, in the long run, um, I hope that he ends up uh, you know stronger financially than ever be because of the guts he had to step forward and. And, and do well, what he thinks is right in that case. The fact, so. the fact that he's been in there for one month, um, first of all, just the fact that Twitter operates flawlessly with 75% fewer people managing it is yeah. astonishing. <laughs> um, that 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 is just um, mind-blowing. Um, nobody would have ever thought that's possible, and and he saw that. Um, but secondly, to come in and, and you know, root out child sex trafficking and do some of the things that he's doing, he's just, he's just pulling back the layer and just saying, why are we not tackling these problems? They are very common sense issues. And, you know, he, he's removing all of the bureaucracy and all of the inefficiency out of the equation. Um, it's not pretty. And it is, you know, change is, is sometimes very uncomfortable for people, especially that people who are just comfortable in their positions. And so he, he's a change agent for sure. And he is, uh, he is fairly, um, you know, um, 
formidable in terms of being able to make those changes and, and stand up to people. Um, it's it's impressive to watch. Um, but I, I hope he gets uh, you know some some good time off and he gets to have a little peace of mind that he can enjoy some time with his family too. Yeah, I, I, we're blessed to have him for sure. We're blessed to have him in our society. That, that one of the most one of the best one of the most innovative leaders in the, in the history of the world. Um, okay, so so fit, let, let's uh, you know fit, finish with you know what a couple of things that we want to I want to make sure we have what 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 drove you I mean, who was who was somebody in your life or a couple of people in your life that made you who you are this this uh, you know the guy that that served at the highest level and you know it, uh, you know got to an amazing West Point and Academy and and served our country doing amazing things in business and constantly going forward in a, with an innovative mind who who do you look to what's uh, what what makes uh, you know this this mind of uh, of yours you know, what it is. Well, I think one of the great things about doing what I do is I get to pick my mentors and pick my friends. And so, you know, my heroes are guys like Michael Dell, Richard Branson, Elon. Um, I know them all well. Uh, I spend time with them. I refer to them when I need help and perspective on things. My two big heroes when I was growing up were my grandfathers. One was um, uh, an executive at Pan Am, and a lifer. And he ultimately was the chairman and CEO of Aloha Airlines. And he ran a number of different airlines. So very much an uh, aviation guy, but, you know, corporate manager. My other grandfather was an entrepreneur and a real estate developer. And he ultimately became the ambassador to New Zealand under Bush 41. So wow. I had two really big, big figures in my life. And they were totally different. One was very much about you know, planning and process. And the other one was very much about charisma and, and vision and thinking big. Um, they were both big, big influences on me. Um, but personally, I, I really just admire entrepreneurs that have gone out and created their own brand. I, I remember when I started learning about Richard Branson, I thought he was the greatest entrepreneur of all time, just understanding how his brand could be applied to so many different companies. And now when Virgin launches something new, everybody knows what that brand sentiment is all about. Um, you know, what I've tried to do with companies like True Car and Fair and Cars Direct is really all sort of aligned with creating a brand personally that is about customer first, right? And I think almost anybody in the car business that hears of me, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily loved by people inside the car business, um, but I'm no joke. And uh, they, they definitely know that I'm serious and I'm focused on the customer experience and making that something that is great. And so uh, I, I do have the privilege of being able to rely on these personal mentors. I, I'm not a member of like YPO or some of these other things. I've not, I, I, I don't have enough time to spend with my family and friends as it is, but uh, I, I do really sort of have my own personal board of directors. Um, you know, I, 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 just another guy that not super well-known, but Bob Pittman, who's the chairman and CEO of iHeartRadio, um, just guys like that, that I've gotten to know over the years. Um, um, Howard Lutnick, who runs Cantor Fitzgerald, uh, it just... You know, people that have just absolutely killed it in their lives, who are absolutely meaningful entrepreneurs who've done incredible things that I can now rely on as a good friend and, and also a mentor when I'm facing challenges. That's that's really helpful to me. That's that's that's, uh, that's I love it. And that's what I, I rely on my mentors in many ways and continue to be a mentor to as many people as I as, as I can be. And and that's that that balance to have that uh, the time with those four great kids. I have two sons, two daughters, like you. Um, I was married for 35 years. My wife passed away about two and a little over two years ago. But overall, right, it, it's about that work life balance to be able to spend that time with the with the, those those that your your amazing partner and your kids that you want to be great human beings, right? 
And that's, well, that's, that's, uh, that's for me, for me the, these kids are like companies, right? I invest yeah. the same amount of passion and energy into them. Um, and kids are all so different, right? I've got two kids that are clearly going to be entrepreneurs and I've got two kids that are going to go to college and graduate and do professional things. And they're going to be absolutely playing it safe in their life. And they'll be exceptional at what they do. But my two entrepreneurs, they're going to have an up and down life. They're going to go through a lot of rough patches and they're going to have a lot of big wins and a lot of big losses. But uh, that's been more my life. And so I can help help them in uh, you know, many ways, <laughs> more so than my other two. And what will you do? What will you do to uh, when you think I've, I've got I've got almost the same thing. My my son is a CEO of our all our companies today. He's thirty five years old. My next daughter is a CEO of our our national business. Um, she's thirty three years old. And then the other two are prof- a lawyer, attorney. Her husband has some small businesses, but they're kind of on their own. And I have a son that's twenty one that'll probably um, be a pro- He's a project manager now. May never want you know. Doesn't seem like he wants to actually lead a business to be an entrepreneur, but. How do, you, how do you, you know, you, you can't treat them all the same. That's not what it's about, right? Treat them all, you know, fair as fair, but, but, but life's not fair, right? So how, how do you raise them to understand life's not fair? I'm here for you, no matter what, what, what track you, tr- you choose, right? I just want the best, you want you be the best human you can be. Um, so, so again, how do, how do you think that way? Because you've got the same thing, you got different, different character traits and different, different uh, paths for our kids. But how do you look at that? Well, you know, I, my, my boys are older. Uh, so I've got two boys, uh, 21 and 16, and then I've got two girls, 10 and 12. Um, I teach my boys character by looking out for their sisters. And I teach my girls a good example of male love is looking out for their brothers to take care of them. Um, you know, <laughs> and, uh, we travel all over the world together and always have, and we look like a gaggle going through the airport. But, um, you know, my sons know that if my daughters are happy, they get the credit. They're sad. It's their fault. And um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're accountable for that. Um, but you know, it, it's hard to raise kids in this culture where everything's moving so fast too, you know? Um, and we also grow up in a tech family. And so, you know, um, my entrepreneurial kids don't understand the boundaries of tech. They want to go out and explore the world. And they, you know, that, that, that cell phone or the iPad is really their ticket to freedom, like the car was for me back in the day. So um, I, I think that's, a, you know, a modern challenge, but I, I, I do love being a dad. I mean, that's my, that's my number one thing by far. And I, I sort of treat my companies like they're my kids to some degree. Um, but, you know, I, I make myself really available to entrepreneurs and um, always in my companies, I've got a certain crop of folks who want to grow up and become leaders, not just in the companies I'm building, but in companies that they want to go out and build. And so I'm always giving advice about, you know, fundraising, company building and leadership. And um, it's, it's no different than the the kind of stuff I say to my kids. I, you know, I, I really think authentically, it's such a great lesson to be able to talk to my kids about what we do in the context of their lives. Like my 21 and 16 year old driving that car from autonomy, they now understand the issue of depreciating assets, debt, how all that plays in buying an appreciating asset. They sit there and every time they come see me, they walk right by my cars and they, you know, those are not the same as the cars they're driving. And so there's just a lot of authenticity and sort of how we're raising these kids, but we live in Los Angeles and Los Angeles is just the worst in terms of sort of exposing kids to too much too soon. Uh, I I worry about that. I'd love to pull them out of here and go to a ski town somewhere. Yeah, I agree. We we have to worry about that. We have to worry about you know throwing too much at our kids at one point and 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 let them let them work work hard for what they get so they respect it. And and, and uh, I think it's really important in life. I've done that. I think you're doing that. Makes makes good sense. Uh, all right, uh, 
you're, you're, you're an amazing guy. We're really blessed to have you today on, on Ditch Digger CEO. Chris, what'd you pick up? We like to, we like to at the end, just a, jot down a few things, a few differentiators or, you know, nuggets for success that we pick up. Chris, my, my, uh, my partner here, what do you pick up on, on this, this amazing oh. guy, Scott, Scott Painter? Oh man, so much. Scott, really, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. You're a, you're an inspiration, man. This is incredible. Um, a couple things. Uh, if your vehicle breaks down in front of a military enlistment center, definitely join the army because it'll uh, set you yeah. <laughs> the path to incredible uh, success and adventure. Um, if you're tasked with doing 10 huge things, do two great and discard the other eight. That will uh, lead you down a, a great path. Um, there's a very important difference between truth and manners. And, and knowing this, I think, is a huge key to success. Um, if you're running for class president, uh, deliver a chaperone-free trip to New York City and a toga party to secure your election. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you what, that's, that's, that's got to be, you know, I, 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 Gary, I do not envy you getting into politics. I, you know, um, as I've been a pretty ho- high profile entrepreneur over the years, I, I'm 54 and I've been asked whether or not I would get into politics at all. And, and you know, I was raised very conservative and I just think it's a, a horribly tough time to be a politician. Um, I think, you know, uh, one of the things that uh, in my past, I also was one of um, the guys involved with 1-800-DENTIST. And if you think about the, the things that we all do in modern life that are fearful, and we do we do this survey all the time, and what we hear is buying a car and going to the dentist are two of the worst yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. And then the only other thing is the two lowest trust sort of industries are lawyers and politicians. And I, I got to think that being a politician, if I ever did it, um, I think the, the press conference would start with, let's just go ahead and do the laundry now. <laughs> just say here's everything <laughs> that anybody might ever say about me, and I just and look. And if you don't like it, let's get it out of the way now, and let's argue our way through that. And then, and you know, I think um, I, I've lived a, a a life that also involves a lot of struggle. Being an entrepreneur is a lot harder than people think. If you're a truly authentic entrepreneur, there's a hard, hard way to determine whether something is a failure or a success. I mean, certainly when you have binary financial success, everybody says that's a success. um, Almost every real financial positive outcome I've ever had, it would have been hard to tell it was successful until the very end. Um, It looked like like a struggle and a failure. So people, people, I'm sure look at look at you as they look at me, Scott. And often, I you know, friends of mine just don't don't see my day to day. Will say, "Man, Ray Bynes, you got a horseshoe up your butt, man. You've been so lucky." And, and I'll say, you know what? Thanks. I appreciate that. It, it came, come, came with a little bit of work too. Right. But, yeah. but I know, you know, the tough times I've had, my, my wife did, my kids did, my family, my close friends do, you know, they understood that, you know, when we had tough times and we've had, you know, a few of them in our, in our 40 years, same thing with you, you've had tough times, right. But you don't, you don't wear those on your sleeve. If you do, you know, it's, it, it, you fall deeper, right. So you got to stay positive through the tough times and, and get through them, get back up and, and keep going forward. And it looks like a totally a positive, positive path, right? Even though you got knocked down a few times and people don't even know it. So I, well, yeah, I'll, you're right I'll, about that. I'll tell you one final story. I, um, in talking with my four kids, my oldest daughter is really, really intense. She is just high energy, a lot of ADHD, and she's going to be an entrepreneur in her life for sure. And my youngest son, who's very introspective, very disciplined, very OCD, 
came to me one day, and this was about five years ago, and said, Dad, Zoe really bugs me, and I don't know if I want her to be my sister anymore. And I said, well, uh, you know, <laughs> she's going she's gonna to be your sister no matter what you think. But, you know, you know, Noah, what do you like about Zoe? And he's like, nothing. And I said, well, let's list all of her qualities. And we list her qualities. And one of the qualities he put down there is her persistence, resilience, right? Determination to do a thing. And so we just had a, a family dinner. And I said, hey, what do you guys all think is the most important single quality to success in life? And we all agreed that it was persistence, determination, and resilience. And Noah said at the end of that dinner, he goes, dad, if this is true, then Zoe's going to be the president of the United States. <laughs> So yeah, now that that's that's a huge that, that that's a huge uh, you know thing. If, if, you know, persistence. If you have persistence, and, I, and I've got I've got two kids that have lots of persistence, and, and two that don't have as much for sure. The, the two that that had it got their way way more often than I wanted them to, right? And 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 it's just kind of how it is, right? So in in business and life, it's a good thing, really, if you do it with class and and all that, right? So, tell, so uh, Chris, what else do you pick up? So I, I look at that, you know, differentiate. What he did is he differentiated to show leadership, and 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 they wanted him to lead because of his differentiation. But you know, uh, uh, what else? What else did you see, Chris? Um, well, I, I will uh, share this with you, Scott. Um, while we were on the interview, I texted my girlfriend uh, autonomy.com and like a screenshot of the four fifty per month, and I was like, babe, I think we can get a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love it. Like, I'll put my car on the market right now. So you may you may have gotten at least uh, you know one new customer out of this. And we'll we'll make we'll make sure that that car comes right to your driveway. Okay, sweet. Yeah, we're what? very excited. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's think, amazing. Uh, yeah, just a, a couple quick things. We'll, we'll uh, let and, you and go. Chris, you, th- you said you're down in Florida. Uh, so I'm actually in Pasadena. Oh, okay. So I'm we have cars right away. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I, I loved your uh, uh, how you met Elon. Um, so I put here: if you're looking to meet Elon, get him to buy your house. <laughs> um, and I and I loved your uh, your insight on how if you weren't in the car business, you'd be in the charging infrastructure business because that's just in a huge boom right now. So any really entrepreneurs listening to this, uh, I'm sure would love to hear that. Um, Scott, where can people find out uh, more about you and more about uh, all your entrepreneurs and, and adventures? Well, um, so autonomy.com has information about what we're building and all sorts of press coverage on us. Um, I, I, I mean, it's sort of douchey to say, I mean, you can just Google me. Um, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty easily discoverable online. I've, I've been out talking about the same stuff for a long time. So there's lots of interviews and, and lots of quotes and we, we tend to get a lot of attention for what we're doing. So there's a lot of stuff out there on me. Cool. Awesome. Scott, I, I really appreciate your time today, buddy. You're, you're awesome. And uh, I, I go out to California every once in a while. I've got some friends out there. I am in YPO. So I've got a bunch of YPO friends out there. And, uh, and, and, you know, many, many like you, great. You know, that maybe, maybe a couple to your level, but not many. You're, you're, a, you're not, you're not common, dude. You should have been a YPO. You would have dominated YPO. And, uh, maybe that's why you didn't want to, you didn't, you didn't want to, you know, beat up all these, these, uh, low achievers. Cause there's plenty of those compared to what you've done. So thank, you know, thank you, you know, so much. It's fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Um, Early in my career, I flirted with getting into YPO, and every time that I went through the interview process, I was in between companies, and my company wouldn't qualify. And I was like, 
this is ridiculous. This is what I, I'm a, you know, I'm not just a serial entrepreneur. I'm a pathological entrepreneur. Yeah, that's right. I <laughs> like know, that. I, I, pathological. I, and, and so um, in, in the few moments over my career where I would have jumped into YPO, I didn't qualify. And I thought, you know what? <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't need you didn't need it, dude. I mean, it, it's uh, it's awesome what you've done and what you're doing. Thank, Thank thanks you. for being who you are. I uh, really appreciate you. And again, I'm going to look you up when I when I come out to California. If you come to Chicago, ever if you're if you ever come to Chicago, you need anything here in Chicago, in the Midwest, or or Naples, Florida. Um, I'll, I can I can uh, I, I know a lot of people. So so uh, anything I can do for you, you in the future, okay? It was very right. good to meet you, and thank you very much. Yeah, all right, buddy. God bless you, and thanks for all being right. on. Appreciate it. Okay. If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com, for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo. Yeah.